There's so, you got something going you, you, on right now, Matt? Oh, oh, I had jalapenos for dinner, and I think I had some jalapeno juice. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, okay. Well, this is great for, better for than what an I audio had. format. Is Jesus Christ. We oh. should do a podcast yeah. where we eat spicy yeah. food, oh my God. but then we just talk about how spicy it is. Right Wait, did you get it in your eyes? Well, I had it on my hand, and then I just rubbed my face, and then... Uh, hmm. Anyway. I'm better now. I'm better. All right. Oof. Did that make you better? Fuck you. <laughs> Here she comes. Hello and welcome to We Both Podcast Together, the something of something to something. Uh, I am your host, Matt Esner. And I am also your host, not Matt Esner. We got both of us here tonight and a special guest because all of our guests are special. We don't have any like regular guests on this show. Yeah, we don't just like pick any old schlub yeah we we really go out of our way to find top notch do you think we'd ever we're ever gonna have a guest and be like and here is our our guest not really special here's a really sort of boring guest that we have for you i didn't listen to the justin spaith one but did you do that for him (laughs) ouch he did think that uh that andrew jackson was on mount rushmore so so he's special in a different way yeah Anyway, who's our guest, Matt? Uh, it's 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 Mason Redman. Welcome, Mason. Hello. It's great to be here. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> you, <it's, laughs> he's not our one Twitter follower, is he? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. That would be. I looked really at weird. I looked at our Twitter today. Did you? Yeah. It it's there. Anyway, Mason, welcome to the podcast, where we are going to force you to give your opinion on every single song on the longest Decemberist album that exists. It is long. Is this their longest one? It feels like it. It's like it, I think Four, it's fourteen tracks. Yeah, I think fifty-three minutes long. Yeah. So yeah. it breezes by, though. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that. I don't know if I agree with that sentiment. <laughs> uh, Matt, you mentioned that the last couple of episodes have just been us saying this is fine about songs that we casually enjoy. Yeah. I feel like this one will actually like have opinions. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's uh why I've been looking forward to this album because I have some some very strong opinions about it. And that hasn't happened. Some in of the a songs while. you like and some of the songs you love. Is that the is that the the range we're getting? Those at? are the two Maybe. options. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. We'll have to see. <laughs> but remember that get... Colin Malloy himself listens to this, so he yeah, I'm sure in my in my nightmares, that is the case. <laughs> he very well might eventually. Yeah, I mean, once this hits the December subreddit, we're I'm gonna in throw for, it. I'm gonna uh, throw it in there. I feel like yeah. when when we get sued, I think like this whole podcast will be like played. Why would we get sued for making a shitty podcast? Yeah, yeah. I mean, technically, <laughs> I don't know. You are paying for the use of those songs, correct? <clears throat> well, we're not profiting off of them, so that's fine. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I, th- I mean, that's true. We are yeah. paying. Yeah. We are paying in in uh, opportunity cost for, for sure. sure. Anyway, Matt, you're going to get to our guest, right? Yeah. So before we we delve into this album and delve, we will. Uh, oh, we shall. There's a there's a, a ritual that we undertake every time we have a new uh, guest on the show, and that is our. Our tried and true Decemberists questionnaire that we uh, we always pose to our guest. Yes. And uh, yeah, so that's that's. Uh, I see it in your hand there. Yeah. 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 There it is. Definitely something that we spend a lot of time perfecting, <laughs> really workshopping a lot, and stick to it strictly. 
I feel like we kind of like just didn't even try with AJ. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as with tonight, uh, I completely forgot it's something that we do until we started recording, which shows right. you it's only been ten times, correct? Uh, this is our twelfth episode. Yeah, and our fifth guest. Mm. T- ten that we're up. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is our fifth guest. Yeah. All right. So, do you want to start asking questions so that yeah, the audience can get to know Mason? Let's go ahead and start with with the most important one. Uh, how did you first hear of the Decemberists? It's a good question. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you started with it. Yeah. It will really inform the rest of my <laughs> answers. Um, I, I, while listening to your podcast, I got to be honest, and I, like I said, longtime fan, but uh, I'm impressed with. It. I can't remember this detail with experiences that I actually like hold dear to me. The detail you guys re- remember about uh, the Decemberists. So. <laughs> this is gonna be a lot more vague. So you're saying we care more about this band than you do about anything. I I would say I wouldn't. And you, yes, <laughs> that is that is what I'm saying, <laughs> more or less. Uh, so I, I'm I was culturally aware of the Decembrists for a long time. I didn't get into uh, like what I would call decent music until probably 2004. 2005, I would say, that, for sure. That's about, Maybe that's about me, too, yeah. yeah. 2005, six until college. I, right. I, I didn't, and I want to blame this all on uh, a rural upbringing. Same. That uh, I, was un, I was unaware uh, that there was any music that was not played on the radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, college, uh, Greg Pozo, he, he was the first one to like, introduce me to decent music. Big shout out to Greg. And, yeah, he's probably listening. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like uh, the the new pornographers, which I was excited to hear you uh, you mention. Oh, they yeah. were like my first, like my first favorite indie band by far. Uh, I want to say like Twin Cinema was probably like the first indie album I ever got into. I absolutely love that and album. That's great. Uh, it's funny that the concert. I've only seen them once. I don't go to that many shows, but um, the 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 new pornographers concert you were at, Pete, with Ockerville River, the one that's the one I was at. Yeah, and uh, the Ockerville River was very good. They were very. I remember good. being. I was very disappointed that Nico Case was not there. Agreed. She but, adds uh, a lot of energy that they were. She does. Yeah. Uh, overall, I was uh, pretty impressed. Or, or happy with it just because I'd never yeah, seen them for before. Sure. But but anyway, uh, fast forward. You know, I listened to a few of their their singles. Not bad. I couldn't get into the uh, uh, the weirdness of the Decemberists maybe fully until uh, fast forward. I'm friends with Matt Esner and he talks about them pretty well nonstop. <laughs> and uh, uh, that didn't really do it for me. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. Maybe pushed me away from it for a while. They're a hard there. band to Further. sell to somebody, honestly. Yeah, like. yeah. Well, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I the the last podcast I listened to of yours was The King is Dead, which I'm not surprised to hear uh, your opinions on it. But at the time, I was really, and still, folk, Americana, mm-hmm. you know, Avid Brothers, all that stuff was really what I was into. That's uh, still a big part of what I listen to. And so that album was like the first December album I really got into. 
and listened as a whole and uh, really enjoyed, which opened up their back catalog a little bit more to me. Uh, I still don't... Honestly, I'd probably, if I had to pick a favorite album, I'd probably say that Crane Wife was my favorite album just because it's all around. I can listen to every track, and it seems like peak Decemberists as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I did. I, I heard your opinions on that one, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's my, uh, that's probably my favorite. But The King is Dead, uh, it's in my top like three. And honestly, I like the one we're about to talk about quite a bit because. That was the first uh I went with you, Matt, to see them in concert. And uh that was the only, that's the only December's concert I've ever been to. But I've I really enjoyed it and I I think that really made me enjoy that album afterwards more than I had up to that point. That happens a lot. Like I'll there'll be a band that I like that came out with a new album I don't care for, but then I go see them on that tour and I'm like, Oh, that's not bad. Yeah. It happens. Uh what was the question? <laughs> uh you answered it. I think yeah. how you heard I think how I answered you became the first aware two. of the December is. Yeah. So I've answered at least two questions. Yeah. Just just to kind of figure out where your musical tastes are, what would you say are like three other bands that you are really into to kind of give us like where the December would land on kind of like, you know, compared to other bands you love? Uh lately I I'd say I'm very into Leon Bridges. He seems to be everywhere. Yeah. But I was into the, especially the the initial album of his that's more a throwback retro style R&B stuff. I've listened to that and album I, so I was, many times. It's so good. I, I, this, the follow-up was good, but it was, that's like the ultimate for me. Mm-hmm. And I, Nathaniel Ratliff is one I'm very into right now. Him and uh, and his his band. What else? The Avid Brothers, I already mentioned them. I, I wasn't really keen at all actually on their most recent album but as a whole i've enjoyed them for a long time and the first time i saw them in concert was at the fox in the this past fall and it was it was very enjoyable and and they weren't promoting an album so it was all nice it was actually i would say it was at least 45 percent emotionalism and then everything else was just a little bit from every other album which was a good mix emotionalism is my favorite album from them so, oh yeah. yeah easily the best yeah uh, most consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. I don't know. That's some of. Uh, I've been listening. Uh, Waxahachie. Have you? Ever, I don't know that band. Ever listen to? Uh, it's a. It's a female. She's. I've really been listening to her new album. I like over and over. Um, but anyway, that's just sort of a, a handful of stuff. Yeah. Mostly, I listen to a ton of seventies, uh, sixties uh, stuff. Uh, I. I mean, I'm a huge Beatles fan, but I don't know that. Anybody isn't so. right. Uh, so the Decemberists then aren't too far off track from some of that stuff, right? They've got some of that rootsy Americana kind of stuff going on, and they're so. basically on the same level as the Beatles in terms of talent and cultural. Yeah, relevance, I mean, I would say so. Uh, a lot of people, personality-wise, at least, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's kind of crazy to think of how much work the Beatles put out in a decade. Yeah, and like. Yeah how much of, like, a sonic journey they went on in 10 years. Yeah, and Postal Service has put out, like, one album since 2001. It's 2003 or something, so... That's what you're... So that's that's the other <laughs> band that you're... So, yeah. like... <laughs> yeah, that's the spectrum. It, wouldn't you... Isn't the Postal Service a side project? Yeah, whatever. It's just Ben Gabbard. Get off your ass, Ben. Do some more work. 
I think he did some like live stream COVID stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I think he played a lot of. Stuff. Yeah, he did actually. Yeah. Anyway, Matt, it's your turn to ask Mason a question because we're not going to shit the bed on this one. We're going to really get to know our guest. So I actually like used to write down questions, or at least I thought I did. So instead of being uh, a good active listener, I spent the last couple questions looking through my notes. Matt, what are the God, three bands that Mason? What are the th- name for me right now? The three bands that Mason said he likes. Uh, uh, Neutral Milk Hotel. Oh my God! I I was waiting for that to come up. Honestly, uh, I'm waiting to talk about Parks and Recreation. Uh, <laughs> well, it was during this should, period in the band's history that they yeah. appeared on Parks and this Recreation. Is, well, it's what yeah. it's what ended their hiatus, basically. That was what they they reunited to play uh-huh. uh, at Pawnee. I mean, basically, yeah. What was the event in Pawnee? That wasn't the Harvest Festival, right? No, it was, was the Unity concert. Oh, yeah, the Pawnee Eagleton mm-hmm. Unity concert. Yeah. Very distinct events happened in that town. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For a town of that size, it, like, is ridiculous. It, like, had a college and, like, yeah. a very active community and, like, I don't know. If it was realistic, though, they would have had REO Speedwagon, probably. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Someone, some old band playing the state fair, like right, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, I don't think the Decemberists are are quite at the state fair uh, leg of their career yet. Uh, do you say state? If you're playing the state fair, your best days are behind you. Yeah, you're right? a legacy act. Yeah. At that point. <laughs> yeah, you play like two new songs per set, and that's all you're allowed. Right. It's like you, you go to the you go to the fair, and you're going to see like three dog night. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think indie bands are allowed to play state fairs, uh, even in retirement. I don't think enough people <laughs> well, would. We come. don't know. Indie rock hasn't gotten old yet, right? Like that's true. What's Wilco gonna be like when they're all like in their mid sixties? Who knows? The craziest band I ever saw, like a, it wasn't a state fair. It was the Italian Festival in like in Heron, in Heron, Illinois. Yeah, and it was. Uh, it was the band that played. Uh, it was right before like it hit, but like the song "Shut Up and Dance with Me." I think. Oh. I think it was Walk the Moon. That song played at like every high school dance I had to chaperone. Yeah, I think that I think it was Walk the Moon. And it was like the summer right before that song or the summer that song was just before that song was everywhere. It was just Dude, when I went to SLU, they did one time for like homecoming week a concert behind my dorm and there was like a stage and it was free. And it was fucking Rihanna. Whoa. But before like Rihanna was massive. Wow. Like, people were like, you know, Rihanna. And people were like, I don't know. They're like, she has that Umbrella song. And we're like, okay. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. But you went, right? I did not. I skipped the free <laughs> oh, Rihanna okay. concert. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. Mason, would you rather travel 300 years into the future or 300 years into the past? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, whew. That is a good question. Thank you. But I'm going to have to go. Uh, I'm a creature of... Uh, of comfortable things i'm gonna have to go into the future just in case <laughs> you think that's more comfortable it could be way way worse honestly <laughs> yeah, but i'm willing really to take could. i'm willing to take that gamble yeah the thing i i just never could wrap my head around in, in terms of time travel is like if you go to the past it's gonna smell awful like it just no matter i mean unless you go like 10 years in the past but if you go like hundreds of years in the past <laughs> It's there's just gonna be shit everywhere, and it's gonna smell bad. Wait, wait, how many years in the past did you think? What did you just say? I say did you say it's good with 
if you ten, he's okay. More than but ten years in the past, there's that. shit everywhere. It's like if I have to travel back to the 1990s. There's gonna be fucking shit everywhere. <laughs> That's how I remember the 90s. I don't know. Here's, here's something crazy. I was thinking about. Yeah. I was thinking about the 90s today, as I do often. And sure. uh, you know, the 90s were a long time ago, right? They were. Because Kaylin is watching Friends right now all the way through. That's just like she likes to have a show that she just leaves on all day. And currently it's Friends. And uh, I was thinking the 90s are as long ago to my students now as the 70s and 60s were when I was their age. That's crazy. That is that is weird to think about because that all that music was already still classic music yeah. at that time. So to them. But the 90s music will probably not be. So yes, I would say. so like in sync is to them as like you know uh, '80s music is or no sorry like '70s music is to us. Hmm. You know it's weird. I was uh, at work today. I was at one of the shops and they had the radio on. And classic rock, like a classic rock radio station, has not changed any of the songs that they play since. It's I was still a, a child. lot of Van Halen and it's ACDC. Still, and, it's, and you're going to get one ACDC song an hour. You're going to get one Aerosmith song. You know, probably a Stone song. No Beatles, or if it's Beatles, it's either like fucking uh, come together, uh, or... come together. The one that yeah, is that the one that Aerosmith covered later? Yes. Which mm-hmm. I feel like that's the the only reason that gets played is because they're like, well, we already played one Aerosmith song this hour, <laughs> so we can't play a second one. But we'll play one that everyone knows that Aerosmith sings. They're not like creeping any like '90s grunge into there or anything no, like that. No, or like even like '80s. You know, '80s. I mean, there's a little hair metal. Every once in a while, but it's mostly like straight up seventies garbage. What do you guys think of the worship of eighties music? Do you guys love eighties music? I love mm, new wave. No, not really. I think it's fine. Maybe some Bowie in the eighties. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess Bowie's or, or always. I, I'm good. a Fleetwood Mac fan. I think that was seventies. It was primarily seventies. But some of their 80s stuff is still okay. All right. But it's still a band that was popular in the 70s. I don't know that that counts. Right. Uh, no, 80s, 70s music. No, 60s style, 70s music, 80s film, and nothing in the 90s. That's how I go. Dude, the 90s is culturally bankrupt. Like, yeah. everything yeah. that was popular in the 90s was shitty. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's... <laughs> Almost exclusively, yeah. yeah. Almost across the board. Yeah. Like, Yeah. Anyway. They ran out of ideas. Yeah, maybe thing. that's like, it. I I fear I fear like the '90s nostalgia that's going to hit in probably like ten years, or maybe it it's already soon. has a little bit. I hope, There's some of that around. I hope my students start wearing Jinko jeans. If I yeah. ever see my students again, yeah, that might Tamagotchis. They're absolutely they're back. yeah yeah. I had a friend in uh, grade school who used to babysit people's Tamagotchis when they went out of town on vacation. Wow, hmm. that was that, a job. That's that was awesome. Yeah, the, it fits on a cheese uh, a keychain. <laughs> yeah, like why can't you bring I, it with you? I, well, yeah, I don't. <laughs> where are you going? Is it too much? <laughs> they just need it's some time. It's too much away. work. They've got to yeah. focus on that leisure. Yeah, it's really like it's not about convenience. It's about getting away. Anyway, Matt, away. do you want to ask another question? I don't know. I I can't think of any more. No, I'd say we're good. I could just keep doing more. Would you rather? Because that's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of what. What we're doing at this point? <laughs> Just getting into some would you rather. Oh. Um, okay, how about how about this one? Time travel again? This is this is this uh, is your last question. Last question, Matt. This all right, is this is one. actually sort of relevant. Okay. What is your favorite December song? That is actually kind of relevant to this Just podcast. Sort of. <laughs> that is both a relevant question and a terribly hard one. Oh. Although 
No, it's not that hard. Uh, Rake song. Really? Nice. I don't know. Why, it's great. But it is. It's great. I, I, that's a. I, that's a good it's choice. It's a very dark, dark choice, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it says something, but I really like that song. <laughs> I'll right. listen to it multiple times in a row. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, man, that's too short. Yeah. And then I'll just re- he should have had more kids to kill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I want to hear of more possible ways. Yeah. It does feel like he gives up at one point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, he just fights one at one point. Yeah. Yeah. They were so creative, and then right. it's like, yeah. I'm just going to fight this guy. <laughs> All right, so should we talk about, should we move on to the main event? Yeah, let's do it. One thing uh, One thing I should mention is, throughout this, this podcast, we have gotten the name of this album wrong, probably more than we've got it right. Uh, I think it's mostly my fault, because I have multiple times corrected you incorrectly. Yeah. It's what a what a terrible world, what a beautiful world. That's the one. Yeah, that's that's the name yeah, of this album. Okay. This coming from the non-fan. I flip I them almost every time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I think it's easy to do. It might be because I'm an I might be because I'm an optimist. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So if we get into a little bit of of what's going on with the band at this time, they've been on a break. Yeah. So they they went on hiatus after the tour of uh, King is Dead. And that hiatus was, you know, it wasn't, they didn't like put an end end date on it because I guess otherwise it would be hiatus. Uh, but it ended up being three and a half-ish years. Yeah. Close, close to four years. Yeah. So in that time, Colin writes a couple of books. Uh, the rest of the band does this like bluegrass side project called Black Prairie. Uh, the Decemberists appear on Parks and Recreation and I think The Simpsons during this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a song for the Hunger Games soundtrack, mm-hmm. um, but the the Decemberists, as we know it, are not really touring or doing anything for this period, and it's not so. King is Dead came out in what 2011. Yep. Yeah. So it is in November of 2014 that they drop their first single from this album, and announce that they've got a new album coming out. Uh, Matt, do you remember what that first single was? I do remember. It was "Make You Better." Uh, and we'll get to talk about that song when it actually comes up in the album. We don't have to talk about it right now. When it comes to the process of recording this album, Colin Molloy talked about how this was a totally different recording experience than they've ever than they've ever had as a band because they didn't like have a bunch of songs that were written and that they'd rehearsed and then just go in and knock out and record and knew what they were going to do. Instead, just for a long time, they would just go into the studio and Colin would bring some songs that they'd never heard before and they would just, as a group, figure out what to do with those songs. They said, like, you know, there was no clock ticking, no label breathing down their neck. They just, like, kind of let whatever was going to happen organically in the studio happen. So they come out with this album that apparently was originally going to be a double LP because they had enough songs recorded but they ended up cutting it down to a single Hmm. but to me it kind of feels like a double lp in that like they didn't trim all the fat off yeah so did the other songs make it somewhere else i mean yeah they're on the uh flora songs ep that followed um but it is their longest record i'm pretty sure um at 53 minutes long 14 songs is a lot for a, a rock album yeah like yeah. I feel like if you get above twelve, you're pushing it right. on a listener's attention span. Yeah, especially like if it's just like a straight up album of, you know, unrelated songs. Like I feel like you people will listen to a double LP if it's like 
sort of a, a concept album or, you know, I think if, if uh, Hazards was a double LP, I think it could have, it could have sustained longer. If you guys think of like double LPs, what are the big ones that come to mind? Like that, like are famous. Uh, well, I don't know how famous it is, but AM. Not, okay. No, being there, being there is the double LP. That's the Wilco yeah. one. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I mean, the white you guys album. already mentioned it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think of uh, the Led Zeppelin one. What is it? Is it Physical Graffiti? That's a double LP. I, I skipped my metal phase, so I can't Led Zeppelin's not metal. That's classic rock. Okay. He, he still skipped it, but... Uh. <laughs> so we end up with this album, which is very different from King is Dead. Sure. Like, I feel like King is Dead was intentionally stripped down, and this album seems to be the opposite to me. Right. This album is, like, almost overproduced. Yeah. Like, there is a... They, like, keep every idea, it feels like, mm-hmm. on this Interesting. album. But Interesting. It, it almost seems like a, like an amalgam of different uh, periods of their music, though. Yeah. Because there's still some of that King's, King is Dead in there that I, I really like. There is. But You've got folk it, country... Sure. You've got like your moody songs and you've got some of like the goofiest shit they've ever recorded. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the lineup? Sure. Uh, we got the five core members of the band here. Um, Colin Malloy, Chris Funk, Ginny Conley, Nate Query, John Moen. Uh, and then we've got some other people in it for backing vocals. Uh, so Laura Veers is back again. Uh, she just can't get out of the, she comes in for like, she's, she's done backing vocals on one song for the last three albums. Yeah. The other backing vocalist that they start working with here, who I'm pretty sure they keep working with is Kelly Hogan. Kelly Hogan. On five tracks. She's also Nico Case's main backing vocalist, right? Right. Yeah. She and Nico have been together for a long time and, and Kelly tours with the Decemberists and has been touring with them for a while. Every she time just I've like seen them recently. professional backing vocalist. She has a solo album that's actually pretty solid, but I just don't think she she does much else these days. Uh, there's also a lot of backing vocals to someone named Rachel Flotard, who I don't know, and then a couple more backing vocalists. Uh, but that's about it. They don't really have uh, guest musicians on this one, except for there's some string and brass on a couple of the songs. Oh wait! By the way, the uh, the strings on this album were arranged by somebody named Rob Moose, who also did strings for Sufjan's Illinois. Huh. Interesting. And has also performed with The National and My Brightest Diamond and Vampire Weekend and for Josh Groban. Whoa! So the Groves. If you're trying to do a if you're trying to do a six degrees of separation between December's and Josh Groban, you've got it. His name is Rob Moose. Matt, how did you not know that? Wasn't, yeah, you're such a Groban head. I don't know. <laughs> was Groban on an episode of Parks and Rec? I feel like he must have been. I can only wasn't think of he, him uh, from It's Always Sunny. Oh, uh, oh I was thinking of uh, who was Andy's brother in The Office? Oh, I think you're, I think that was that was yeah, that, that was, was Groban, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah. But the, the December song is on The Office, so I think it oh, still yeah. works. You know, let's keep talking about all these things that we've already talked about. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's an idea for your sequel <laughs> podcast, Josh Groban. Yeah. 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 I would make up a funny name based on one of his songs, but I don't think I know any of his songs unless they're yeah. Christmas songs. Based on the first half hour of your podcast, it could still be about Josh Groban <laughs> and only be 30 minutes long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I've said before that I feel like the Crane Wife and Hazards of Love, they kind of got the whole like Decemberist y shtick out of their system mm. for the most part. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering if Colin starting to write books and do other things meant that he had other creative avenues for those kinds of like, you know, twee, goofy narratives and that, you know, his songs are now more just about like making songs. I haven't read any of the Wildwood books, but do you think there's a lot of child murder and rape in those? It's about children. I can't imagine there's a lot of like pirates raping people. Uh, maybe he didn't quite get it maybe out of maybe having children kind of like took some of the thrill out of those kinds of stories out yeah. of his system yeah i don't know let's hope so yeah because <laughs> i feel like the things that you thought were <laughs> cool and funny when you're you know right out of college or maybe different from like when you're a father of two i mean yeah if i'm to believe sitcoms from the 90s uh being a dad definitely makes you lame mm. like danny tanner yeah Iron your jeans. Yeah. (laughs) Before we get to it, like, what are you guys' general impressions? First of all, did you listen to this album when it came out? And what did you think of this album in early 2015? Uh, I I definitely listened to it a lot when it came out. And I'm a fan. Uh, I mean, I was a fan then, and I still am a fan of this album. Yeah. I I think I listened to it just based off of... uh how into their uh, the king is dead i i li- picked this one up pretty quickly and or streamed it on whatever service i was using um i'm trying to think 2015 i may have owned this actually um and i listened to it a lot uh especially after i we saw them in concert i got really into it for a long time i have to admit with shame that this was an album that i mostly ignored and it was the first time that the Decembers came to St. Louis and I didn't go see them. I remember being excited when this album came out. Someone even dropped off like a poster to promote their tour at my wife's bakery. And we like hung the poster up. And we were really excited. And then we like never bought tickets. I remember giving this album maybe, you know, three or four listens and then like never going back to it. Mm. I don't really know why, because now I listen to it and I'm like, I like almost all of this. Now that I've listened to all their albums intentionally in a row it's more interesting than king is dead for sure i don't think everything works on the album but it's it's pretty good all right well are you are you let's do you want you want to just jump in let's take it track by track as the kids say all right opening track the singer addresses his audience Uh, so this is the first of what is at least two, I would say, meta songs on this album. It, it's definitely a, a way to interpret it. Yeah. I felt that uh, Matt fits into the uh, intended audience perfectly, honestly, based on the podcast <laughs> and what I've listened to his opinions. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very uh, emotionally invested in the band. And as soon as you they did get your hair look- cut like a member of the band, so... I will say, in, in all honesty, true? No. <laughs> but in all honesty, like part of the reasons, I mean, one of my one of the reasons why I have such an affinity for uh, for sideburns, for you know, long sideburns is is because of Colin. Like he had, he really liked rock long sideburns for a while, and I I couldn't really ape Kamaloy style because I was already dressing like and doing my hair like Kamaloy and wearing glasses. So he grew a beard for this album, so he actually copied me. I see. I would say. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so what we have here is a song that is about a 
a, a famous musician talking to their audience saying like, I get that, like, you know, you guys really care about us and you just want us to be the same all the time. But like, we kind of want to change. And it's kind of about that relationship that famous people have with their fans. Like, you know, it's about musicians, but it could be about authors or actors or whatever. So according to Colin, in his in his mind, it's like the lead singer or a singer in a boy band is who's singing this song. Right. It's that guy. It's 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 Justin Timberlake or uh, Harry Styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Colin's peer is basically. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that makes the axe shampoo line make right, a little exactly. more sense. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think of this line? So when your bridal processional is a televised confessional to the benefits of Axe Shampoo, we did it all for you. What does that mean? Does that mean like a song that they made was on an Axe commercial and you used that song in your wedding? Yeah, I think that's that's a that's, yeah. that's probably what it means. They're, they're trying to uh, imply the uh, how how dumb it is for people to think that that is their song. Maybe <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, this song was intended for solely for you, and so we must do what you want us to do, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, so so where do you think he comes down in this song about what an artist owes to their fans? I always get the impression that Colin has a, a, a just a smidge of disdain for Decemberist's fans. <laughs> uh, I would say Decemberist fans are probably, on average, a, a little um, extra, mm-hmm. yep. which is a term that the youth use. The youth do do use that term. Yeah. Do you want to explain what it means to our older audience members? Yeah, yeah. For those of you boomers that love this show, if someone calls you extra, it means that you're like trying too hard or you're a bit much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those Gen Zers, they're really doing amazing things with language these days. What are some words that like our generation came up with that are just objectively dumb? I feel like we weren't as bad, but I think they didn't and all of them are buried in the past. Like it's the same '90s stuff. Like that that didn't continue on. Well, yeah. the things that like they get their new lingo from the internet, whereas ours was all given to us by corporate America. Mm. Once and, and handed down by word of mouth, right? Sure. Anyway, what do you guys think of this song? I'm not done talking about words. God damn it! Nobody cares. <laughs> okay, but this is a, this is a serious question. No, like, it's not. No, I mean it's about it's, this song. It's not really a question. It's more of an observation. But I was so I, I was at a, at a park not too long ago, and a child. I heard a child say out loud, "Nanny, nanny, boo, boo." But like, where would they have heard that? That's something that like old old or like cartoon characters said like in the 30s and 40s. Like, how did how did a child born in like you know the 2010s know the phrase "nanny, nanny, boo, boo"? grandparents yeah i heard it some some old fucker what do you what what have you ever like have you ever heard an adult say nanny nanny boo boo in any sort of i've said actual nanny, co- nanny boo boo oh sure all right fuck both of you i mean i wouldn't debase myself <laughs> enough to say that but uh, yeah i'm not sure i could talk like that so i don't know about you're right Matt, this, this was be... important enough that we had to talk yeah. about this on the podcast all right well just yeah. think about it just in your life but you edit these right yeah yeah but this, he, this will stay in there this is gonna stay <laughs> in he's not editing this out yeah. he kept in his stupid freaking benjamin franklin joke in the last episode uh anyway so he claims this isn't his statement to his fans but do we buy that 
at some point he's he has to feel this way at least a little bit i would say i've always assumed that's what it was yeah. honestly just because of the uh i don't know all the uh, the talk about his the, sort of the genre change for, in some of the the albums just directly before this and then like you guys were talking about hazards of love and just some of the the complaining from some of those decisions i just assumed that's what it was honestly he talked in an interview about how every decemberist album uh is in some way informed by the album before it kind of like how hazards took the the big long narrative song ideas from crane wife and like took that further and then king is dead intentionally went the opposite direction of hazards he said that like with this album they went in totally blank like let's just make some songs yeah and it kind of feels like that it's like an intentionally conceptless album. Yeah. Yeah, there's no overall theme or consistency between songs. There's so nothing stringing these a few songs, songs together. Yeah. There's a few songs that feel, felt like they were intentionally one after the other. But it but. almost doesn't even feel like they're written in the same era. Like it I mean it so my my big thing about this album is it it feels like early Decemberists in as much as it's just kind of all over the map. Like their early albums, they would have like, here's like sort of a, you know, 60s pop song and here's a country Like a song. Her Majesty style yeah, exactly. kind of thing. Where they just grabbed from everywhere. I mean, maybe these are just songs that he was working on for the whole like three years. Yeah, maybe. You know? So this song is mostly this kind of like solo acoustic number, but then at the end, it kind of like blows up into this bigger kind of like noise rocky kind of finish yeah it's got a big like sort of wall of sound at the end yeah which in that way it kind of reminded me of i was meant for the stage yeah yeah but solid track i would say it's a good opener musically i think as a as a statement as an artistic statement it's pretty pointed yeah which kind of made it a good opener yeah Yeah. Or, or that was another reason why it was a good opener just because it sets your expectations it sort of makes you force yourself not to assume or or be disgruntled about what's to follow. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, and that works. Yeah. But then they go to track two, Cavalry Captain. Uh, have either of you guys watched the music video for Cavalry Captain? No, I didn't know there was one. It is uh, the most either. entertaining Decemberist music video that exists. It is like a fake infomercial for a cult about Decemberism that Colin is the uh, the head of. It's amazing. <laughs> I You've no got to watch yeah, I'll have to check it out. the music video for Cavalry Captain. Hilarious. Uh, I really it like has nothing song. to do with the song. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I really like the song and it and it. You know, it reminds me of, I'm going to say this so many times this album, but or, on this album, but it reminds me of old school Decemberists. Like, it reminds me of, like, you know, Legionnaire's Lament or, you know, I mean, it has soldiers in it, obviously, so it reminds me of that. But it's it's a fun, like, sort of upbeat, sort of sad song. So, Matt, I would agree with you, but I will say when I first, I don't know if I feel still feel this way, but when I first listened to this album, this felt like them trying really hard to make an old Decemberist song. Yeah, and maybe, maybe it is, but I think they succeed. Like, it felt like they were trying to check boxes. 
Okay. I will say it's probably one of the more forgettable songs to me on this album. It's totally pleasant. Yeah. And fun to listen to, but I... I I don't think about it when I think about this album. <laughs> I mean, lyrically, there's not really much to it. Well, it's it's based on the charge of the light brigade, right? Well, just because it says light brigade, that's the only thing I think that that's would. That's why. I mean, yeah, it's about charging into cavalry, and that for that one second you feel alive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, it's got this big grand horn and string section. I agree, it's a fun song. It does feel like. I also thought about Legionnaire's Lament and. I thought about soldiering life. I kind of get a Myla Goldberg vibe from it. Yeah, I could see that. It's but fun. I like the song a lot. The song is not as good as its music video. Yeah, that's my homework after this. Is I'm going to yeah. watch that music video. Got to watch it. Do you have a lot to say about this song? Uh, no, I just like it a lot, and I think it's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's fun. Like the- so, for the record, Matthew <laughs> liked it. Uh, I believe. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. And we both. I thought it was okay. So it's kind of like a like a, a five, a four, and a three. Yeah, you know what this album needs though is uh, more harmonica. Uh, well, <laughs> we'll get yes. there. Yeah, but uh, I, there is some, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it takes a little bit. Yeah. I feel like what what this album is missing, and and maybe like past albums were missing, were songs about cunnilingus. About, wish... about horny teenagers. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's weird that you say that. It's a, an excellent segue. Uh, the next song, Philomena. Well, it ruins the thing I was going to say is that I, I really like this song, but have no exact reason why. Uh, it's a, <laughs> but for some, re- it is for, a for some reason, song. I really like this song. So Collins in the interview that uh, this started with this like sweet melody and chord progression that that came first. And they were like, oh, that's like a really like ridiculously sugary, sweet melody. So we have to dirty it up. Yeah. And they intentionally made a filthy song. It's probably the dirtiest song in the December's catalog, which is saying something, I feel like. It's about a young man who is horny, yeah. basically. Yeah. I, I really like this song. <laughs> <laughs> I like it a lot. It's, All he ever wanted in the I world like the was to see a naked girl, but he found yeah. he quickly bored and wanted more, so much more. Yeah. It's like about a kid discovering it's, porn. Yeah. It's pretty much a, the most relatable song in any of their albums. <laughs> um, and it's got this, like, you know, sweet, like, 50s, you know, sort of doo-wop backing Ooh, vocals. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it's so good. It's so catchy. And, and I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a great song. It reminds me a lot of Billy Liar. Yeah. It does have a similar uh, basic sound and sort of tempo to that. Yeah. I know the first time I listened to it, I, I guarantee I was not listening to the lyrics the first time I listened <laughs> to it. But the surprise the first time you realize what the lyrics are is a pleasant one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when you finally realize, oh, he's talking about, uh, yeah, well, that's what he's talking what about. Like Only you let it, me go down. What I like about yeah. it, it's not even like couched in metaphor. Like he's literally no. just saying exactly what you think he's saying. As as <laughs> at, at least as much as he can. Right. I gotta say, when I first listened to this album and heard this song, I was just like, "What are you doing?" Like this. This just to me seemed like totally off the wall. Uh, but that might be because my expectations were set by King is dead. Right. Yeah. You. It'd been at least. 
I mean, an entire album since you had a horny December song. But the album before King is Dead was like the horniest December album. Hazards? Yeah, yeah. Hazards is sure. just wall to wall. Yeah, this is this song is ridiculous. Like, why would a band make this song? Like, this is just... is the, Like, so in that way, you know, the intent behind this song just to be silly is something we really hadn't seen from the band since since picaresque right and that used to kind of be their bread and butter right they hadn't been silly in a really long time i mean chimbley sweep and uh mariner's uh, revenge mariner's revenge cautionary tale sporting life they used to be they used to try and be funny and silly and i think yeah i think they they're bringing it back after two albums that were pretty serious i guess it works i don't know i I don't know what to make of this song i really don't just let it wash over you (laughs) Just just open up my linen lap and let them go down. Is that... Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Another thing I kind of like about the song is I feel like... And there's, I don't know if there's anything to really date it, but I feel like the song is sort of set, you know, in the in the 1700s, 1800s maybe. Like, so it's like an... It's an old-timey, you know, horniness song. Yeah. Which you've got to imagine, based on your time travel concept, that how... <laughs> it smells terrible. It's smell like shit. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be... Yeah, I mean, yeah, Matt, if, if everything smelled like shit, could you even <laughs> could you even get it up? That's I don't the... even know how they do, how did they do it back then. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to go down. Yeah, I don't think. yeah, but... no. Oh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's also the dirtiest conversation we've had on this podcast. <laughs> I'm glad that's saved for my my uh, episode. Honestly, uh... we have to we have to just move on to the next song. Uh, track four, Make You Better. I want you For some reason, and maybe it's just me, but I I feel like, at least in the last several Maybe it's just because their singles are get overplayed to the point where you no longer enjoy them, but this is a good song, but I don't really want to hear it anymore. Yeah, this song got... For, I don't, like, listen to the radio or anything, but for some reason I heard this song a lot. I think that when this song came out, it would come up on, like, Spotify playlists and radio stations a lot. Hmm. I know people who are only passingly familiar with the band, but know this song. Really? That's interesting. It definitely feels like the single on the album. I would say. Yeah. It's a pretty solid song. It's It doesn't have a lot of character or flavor to it. It's just like a solid pop song. This is this is actually my favorite December song. Whoa. Of all time? Yeah. Yeah. It might be. I mean, it's hmm. definitely my favorite one on the album, but like it's in my top like one or two favorite. I really like the buildup of the song. Yeah. Like it starts I, I off so low and slow. Yeah. And the melody and guitar are really cool. Yeah, yeah. Let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I, it would definitely not be my number one all-time Decemberist song. Nah, uh, it it's a good catchy song. Uh, <laughs> Matt, did you love it when the single came out? I did. Yeah, I've always like I liked the single, and like it's only ever grown in my uh, opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's lyrically, it's just like a, a straightforward love song. So one of the reasons why I like it, it's just, it's sort of a mature love song in in terms of like its subject matter. Like it's not like sort of, 
it, it, it goes to the sort of the progress of like infatuation and then the sort of like, you know, more mature uh, love from between like the, the subject of the song where it's like, it's not necessarily like you're just enamored with everything that person does. You're, you're, you know, getting to the point in the relationship where you, you have to grow or change. And, and that's, you know, the, the hard part. And I feel like that's, that's sort of a concept that's not really like addressed in a lot of pop songs. Have you watched the music video to this song? So the thing is, I hate the music video for this song. It's terrible. Like it's awful. It's really bad. Yeah. Kayla uh, and I watched it tonight, and she was like, "If Nick Offerman wasn't in that video, there would be no point to it." And it, yeah. it only matters because he's Nick Offerman, right? Like if that was yeah. just some guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the reason why I hate the music video so much is because it's like the song is so good and the music video is so bad. Like it just I wish it didn't exist. So, Matt, why don't you tell us what happens in the music video? Uh, It's like uh, so Colin is on some sort of fake cable access show or like music show, performance show hosted by Nick Offerman. And Who's Nick Offerman, German? Yeah, he's doing like the weirdest accent. It's like sometimes German, but also sometimes French Canadian. Yeah. And uh, so they just have this, like, interview thing at the beginning that's just not funny. Uh-huh. And, and then they start performing a song, and Colin's wearing orange overalls, I think. Uh-huh. And the, it's just, the whole band is dressed in this, like, weird Euro 70s style. It's intolerable. It's just <laughs> the worst. And there's, like, a storyline going through it about Nick Offerman loving one of his producers. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it sucks. It sucks yeah. so much. It's the Cavalry Captain video is so much better. So here's here's my hot take on this album so far. I think the first four tracks on this are perfect. Like I think this is a perfect album up until this point. Nah. It is a it is a <laughs> like platonic ideal of what a Decemberist album should be. Nah. That's my oh, Yeah, it doesn't drag. You're right. <clears throat> the first four songs are pretty I'll agree that the consist- fifth song is not good. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> If that's what we're getting to, <laughs> I'll agree with that sentiment. Yeah. That instead of pumping the brakes, they accidentally not, hit the uh, brakes hard after yeah. these first four. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would just put these first four tracks against any tracks on any other December's album. That's that's my opinion. Hmm. And it's I think definitely they, an opinion. That's a good. That's. <laughs> I mean, it's a solid opinion. I, I see where you're going. Both there. both just as songs, but also this sequence of four songs, like. It's rare that you have a a opening salvo so consistent. I have to say, I think that as a single, if I take like Make You Better and compare it to like O Valencia, it's a way more interesting song. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, musically anyway. Yeah. So after these four songs, something happens. Whew. Track five, we end up with Lake Song. Down by the lake, we were overturned. Huh. I honestly, it's not. It, I've listened to it today again. This is one of the few songs I listened to all the way through today, and I still can't remember much about it. Uh, I described the song today to a co worker as it sounds like someone in a. It was written by someone in a like senior year of high school creative writing class. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, in the reviews I read about this album, they refer to the song as being, you know, autobiographical. Uh, okay. So I, I don't know. I don't know how much of this is, is taken from Colin's life, but it's well, certainly I mean, Colin se- has seems said like something that could be. It's, the songs on this album are more introspective than most Decemberist songs. Do you, did you happen to see, you, you refer to your list of Colin's favorite songs from albums? That's not this one. Okay. This is, the, I would have guessed this one. Because uh, it seems like the kind of pick Colin would have. I don't know why, but that line about uh, you were full and sweet as honeydew, I just think is like cringy. Everything in this song sucks. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love the opening of this album, like it, the drop is so severe. Well, and to me, if you wanted to slow it down, just go to track six. Track six is a better slow song. But anyway, we can keep talking about Lake song. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, I think in total, I've probably listened to this song twice. Like, start like to it gets skipped every time. Every time. You hear, down by the lake, and you just skip. Like, is, th- is that... <laughs> yeah, like, probably I listened to it once whenever I was trying to get into the album and realized it's dead weight, and then every time since then I've skipped it, except for when I was preparing for this episode. He's also, he, he, he brings out the, the big words here. Yeah. You all Sibylline reclining in your pew. It's about a young person who is sad. Yeah, it's awful. I'd say one of the few, the only times I don't skip it is when I'm not actively listening. <laughs> right. And, just, <laughs> and you totally yeah. zone out at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned that list that I keep referencing where Colin only picks his favorite songs off every album. Yeah. His favorite is actually track six, Till the Water is All Long Gone. See, I don't dislike this song. I don't either. I hate but it's song. not. If you're in the mood for you the first the song? four songs, yeah. Really, if you're in the mood for the first four songs on this album, then you're probably not in the mood for this. Yeah. But <laughs> at the same time, it's a good song. I Just agree. The, the double whammy of Lake Song until the water's all gone is right. like that's a that's a that's now, a killer. Do you think you would you mind this song if Lake Song didn't exist? Maybe not. I mean, yeah, I think it would be definitely easier to swallow. I mean, it's musically a lot more interesting. Like, I like the guitar I, bit. I, I like guess. the it's melody. It's kind of a bluesy vibe. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I like the melody on that Won't Betray You part. Yeah, um, I don't know. But uh, he actually said that he anticipates that calling this his favorite would be a deep cut. Mm. That he, he does, he, I think he knows that this isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. Now, here's an interesting thing, Matt. He said that he wrote this song on a little kid guitar that he wrote another December song on that you also don't like, which is Gymnast. Really? Yes, and apparently that's like a, a, a child guitar. Huh. But yeah, this is like, I don't know. I, I think that part of the reason this album weirds me out is the stylistic and tone whiplash throughout right. the album. Yeah. Like, the fact that you go from something like Philomena to something like this song is just so all over the board. Yeah. You're, like, laughing about going down, and now here's some sad song that is vaguely about water. I don't know. I don't really know what this song's about. Yeah. Or the lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Another thing about the song is it's, I think it's, like, 95 minutes long, I think. <laughs> like, it's it's, like, 
and a whole album uh, it's worth five of... minutes long lake song is almost six minutes long oh my god yeah like if you're devoting 11 <laughs> minutes of your album to this bullshit like uh... like this album feels like they needed an editor to step in and be like nope you got to keep cutting yeah yeah that's uh, so when you said that this was originally gonna be a double lp like it blows my mind that this is one they decided to keep like they were they jettisoned another a bunch of other songs but kept this one in and lake Wait, song so what do you like better this song or lake song i don't know i guess this song because it's slightly shorter but i mean they're both <laughs> bad <laughs> no i don't agree i i think that this is a better song than cavalry captain okay i think you're just just <laughs> no being deliberately I, th- this song is actually interesting like musically anyway like i like the mood of it I think that the refrain is really cool. I think that the backing vocals are really cool on this song. All right. I mean, you're allowed to like this song, but like the double whammy of Lake Song until the water's on all gone is just—it's almost enough to make me stop listening to this album. It's interesting that Make You Better is your favorite December song, Matt, because I thought that I'd really, throughout this, this whole podcast, narrowed in on what makes up Matt Esner December's yeah, song. Right. And Make You Better is not what I would have thought. Not on the list, or it wouldn't be. It's a shame you gave that away. At the end, it would be cool to see you guys try to guess each other's favorite yeah. Decemberist songs, but bad. now we can't do you that. You can't do it. Hmm. I mean, I changed my mind a lot on the show, though, so maybe I'll... Yeah, I'll that's fair. In, but probably not. It might be like song before you're done. Now, here's what I will guess, Matt. I would guess that you do like the next song. Uh, so we're on to track seven. So halfway. Halfway, halfway there. <laughs> After this song, we're halfway. Oh, yeah. The wrong year. Am I right in my guess, Matt? Uh, it's fine. Like, honestly, like, this, this seems like a King is Dead era song. So kind of like just pretty easy. Smooth. This definitely feels King is Dead to me. I think that's why I liked it. Yeah. yeah. This this feels like it could have been a single off this album. Yeah. Yeah. Except for this isn't the tone they were going for right. throughout, but it's it's very good. Yeah. It goes down real smooth. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Um it's it's got a really catchy melody. Yeah. Uh but this is like I don't know, Americana southern rock kind of song, right? It's got some accordion in it. It's got some nice harmonies. Yeah, it's nice. It feels like it could have come off King is Dead. Which is why you have things to say about it that you said, Kazuo King is Dead. Yeah, It's nice. Yeah. It's yeah. a decent song. Yeah. So here's, at this point, when I'm listening to the album in in its entirety, at this point, I'm still trying to claw my way out of the <laughs> of the pit that, that is Lake Song until the water's all gone. And so then they, like, drag you, they drag you back down into yeah, the pit. Yeah. They're going to they, drag you back. <laughs> They they offer this one up as a sort of appeasement. I'm like, okay, you're trying. I appreciate. And then what happens? And then uh, and then we get to Carolina Low. I really like this song. So, like, how do you think this song is better than "Till the Water's All Gone"? Oh man, because it's like dark and moody, 
So and is like, still the water's all gone. But it's like, it's, I don't know. But I also love how this song and the next song work together. Like, I, I agree. I kind of consider them one song. It almost seems like that was in the intent, at yeah. least. Yeah. But it's got this sort of like Appalachian, like hill music kind of, uh, I don't know, dark darkness to it. Although it's I like this song. It's, it's just, it's, it's another like down tempo song. But it yeah. does, I think, get a little bit back to kind of like Castaways style songs where right. like it's got it suggests a narrative, whether it actually has one or not. Right. I don't think it would work without Better Not Wake the Baby, though. I agree. There's something about that when it really brings it out of there that makes it all worth it. I don't I don't know by itself. Yeah. If it's... I just find this song a little boring. Like there's not enough to it. I think that there's more going on in Till the Water's All Gone. Which is also a minute and a half longer. So yeah, I don't know. I think "Till the Water's All Gone" just has too much like noodly electric guitar jazz bullshit. There's this is because they it's because they covered the Grateful Dead. Yeah, they that that didn't leave them whenever they covered the Grateful Dead. They kept the noodly bullshit with them. But I don't know. Like I don't know. Yeah, the song. It's, I love the finger picking. Uh, I love the backing vocals. It feels haunted. I feel like the song has some ghosts in it. Even even if they're not lyrically there, I think it's fine. Yeah, I do love the next song. Yeah, well, yeah, so that's the cool thing about how this song works is it bleeds right into uh, the next track. Better not wake the baby. Kick a hole in the hallway wall, singing like a painted lady. I think there's a, I mean, there's accordion and maybe hurdy-gurdy on it. I don't know. It's, I never really know if something's a hurdy-gurdy or not. I know it's, hurdy-gurdy is really droney, right? That's, that's yeah. what the hurdy-gurdy does. I don't know if there's any on this. It, maybe not. Mason, what do you think of this song? Oh, I like it. I like it. I like it better than the previous song, but only slightly because it brings it back and brings it up. It, it's got a lot going for it. Kelly Hogan's backing vocals are great on this song. Yeah. I feel like the Carolina Low and Better Not Wake the Baby, they could be like, uh, they could be played during an episode of Justified. Like, I just like have, uh, uh, what's his name? Timothy Oliphant, like getting ready to shoot some motherfucker and then Better Not Wake the Baby pops up. Sure. This is the kind of song that sounds like it would be the theme song to any number of prestige television shows yeah. from the last like sure. 10 years. Yeah. Like it's it's that's my lit, litmus test. Would they play this on Justified? <laughs> right. Could this be nah, the theme song like to a, a yeah. Emmy winning anti-hero dark drama? Have you guys seen there's a whole Portlandia sketch where they're just a band that plays like Bayou style songs to be the theme song to your uh, your new drama TV show? I haven't. It's great. I haven't seen that sketch it's either. That sounds good, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point. And they like play all the songs, like all of the the TV show theme songs that actually sound the same. Uh, it was like uh, True Detective, True Detective like Breaking Bad. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, what is the one I'm thinking of? What's the uh, I'm gonna do bad things to you? Which, oh, True Blood, Young Sheldon. <laughs> I was like, maybe it was Young Sheldon. No, no, it's True Blood. Right? There's like all these these like dirty Southern Bayou kinds of tracks that this this kind of sounds like that. But I uh, I do like the song. 
those songs 100% work on me. So like I'm not like above. <laughs> like you're into all that. Yeah, 100%. There's a there's a really good Spotify playlist. Uh, I think it's called like uh, Country Noir or something like that. It's got a whole bunch of songs like that. I, I, I kind of like some of those songs in small uh, doses. I remember loving the, uh, tr- the True Detective theme song when that I agree. show first came out. That's a good yeah. one. Do you guys like seasons two or three of True Detective? I've not even I've not seen three yet. I know they say that is a return to form, but uh, I thought two was okay. I didn't think two was as bad as everyone made it out to be. Yeah, it was watchable. Yeah, one isn't that good. I've only seen one and three. One well, survives one is, entirely uh, on uh, on McConaughey's performance. Yeah, sure. But as far as the central narrative. Which they don't give a damn about. I was so disappointed it's, with the yeah, result yeah, of it's, that. Yeah. It's so terrible. If it wasn't for those uh, 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 Harrelson and yeah. Uh, McConaughey, yeah, no one would. It wouldn't even have gotten any attention. Honestly, yeah. I don't think. Honestly, once the show caught up to modern times, it got boring. Yeah, because yeah. they didn't know what they were doing with it. I at least at least in season three, like the the whole like time jumping made sense like it was a cool yeah it was it was it served the story also southern gothic is the name of that playlist on spotify great ah, southern gothic all, right. all you listeners out there i'm jones in for it now yeah. Yeah. i mean if you want to like you know write a prestige cr- uh, criminal show but to me is carolina low on there it should <laughs> It could be. I feel like the this song gets a little bit more at the british folk element of the band I think that this song isn't entirely American folk country. Maybe it's maybe it's like the instrumentation with all the like accordion and stuff. There's also a lot of banjo on this song, which I yeah. wish they did more banjo yeah. as a band. Is that Chris playing banjo? Yeah. I mean, this song reminds me a little bit more of like almost like Black Prairie. Yeah. Yeah, for maybe, sure. Maybe this this kind of song comes out of most of the band working on Black Prairie. But yeah, good song. Good this track. is a highlight for me. Yeah. I like the song. Uh, the next song I would say is a very weird song. So after Better Not Wake the Baby, we end up with Anti-Summer Song. Which I suppose is a reference to the Crane Wife track "Summer Song." This is the other meta song that you. you this said is it. Two on the album, right? Uh, so this song seems to be about Colin being sort of embarrassed about what kind of music he used to make. Yeah, I would say this one seems more biographical than uh, the singer addresses his audience. Uh, there was an interview I either read or listened to where Colin said when he showed the band this song, Jenny said this is his, like, retirement fuck you to everybody song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is the, this is, an, you know, evidence that Colin might not necessarily like Decemberist fans. <laughs> right. Uh, that and the fact that he put uh, Lake Song on this album. <laughs> I think that the big line in here that seems kind of, like a burn to himself is I'm not going on just to sing another suicide or another sing another sing along suicide song. Yeah. I actually like this song a lot though. <laughs> I do this too. Song, the, it, it's a very light 
other, you know, if you're not as ingrained in the music, I don't really read a lot into it. I could read some, like, those lyrics are hard to miss. But uh, the rest of it, I don't know, it's just a very catchy song. Yeah. He's kind of making fun of himself, right? Yeah, a little. Also, it, it I like this song better than Summer Song. Oh, agreed. So there's that. But, like, I think this the production on this song is super cheeseball. The the chorus of men who <laughs> the backing who sort of, vocals yeah like I'm not I'm not going yeah. on going on like <laughs> it's weird uh, we've got the return of the harmonica in this song yeah yeah finally <laughs> but yeah I really don't know what to think about this song but yeah well, why why put this on an album it seems very self indulgent in a way that he is making fun of himself for being self indulgent. It's it's a, this feels more like a B side, don't you think? Maybe this is the kind of like weird song that doesn't make it on the album. Yeah, it, but it's so short though. That's another thing. It's only like two minutes. Two long. minutes. Yeah, it's a nice little uh, little pick me up. The yeah. next song is also short, and the title suggests that. Next up, easy come, easy go. I'm going to guess, based on your past taste in December's music, Matt, that you kind of like this song. Uh, is it just because it has, like, really reverby surf guitar in it? Because, uh, yeah, you're right. Well, yeah, but also it's a little bit of that, like, twangy country kind of thing that you are just a sucker for. Like, it, yeah. it gets you every time. I, I'm i pretty easy. You just put, just put like, some uh, reverb guitar and some, <laughs> some country whistling. Swing. Yeah. <laughs> There's whistling in this song? I, I dig it. It's another one with, like, really, like, cheesy production. Like, this feels like it could be in a Western. Yeah. Yeah. The One thing, this album does, like, seem more polished. So that's the thing. Like, it, I think, musically speaking, it's got the diversity of their early albums. But the polish of it makes it almost seem like some of the songs are novelty songs. It's a know? little too slick. Yeah. Like, back whenever, when they didn't have as much polish, it felt like, you know, a, a, a theater troupe putting on a, a bunch of shows, putting on a play, and, like, these are all, like, the, you know, crazy characters that they come up with. But, like, this one, it, it seems more like a product. This is an old-school december song about, like, a dude who kills people. Huh. You, you ever listen to the lyrics? No. I just assumed it was just, like, it was about, I don't know. I honestly had no idea what it's about. <laughs> At least I think it's like a, it's like a morbid song about like a terrible person, kind of like Shank Hill or Rake or whatever. Uh, it says here, let me read you the lyrics, Matt, since you don't know them. Yeah. Okay. Limber Jack, he landed on his back. He was betting on the netting when the rigging went slack. Was a moonless night. The stars all lend a light. She's leering in the mirror when the road, it broke right. Then it says, he was a stand-up gent, but no one knew his bent, and all the little bones that he hid in his vent. She was the come-on queen, the jewel of the scene. He found her in the shower. She'd been gone for seven weeks. Huh. Hmm. Well, it seems like the first line is about someone who fell off the, the rigging of a ship. But do you think it's like some, it, do you think all those people are victims? That's of, what I'm uh, guessing. Of a serial killer? And then the outro yeah. is... Limberjack, his name is on the plaque. His mother is another that will never get him back. Huh. Interesting. 
Yeah, I'm, I dig it. <laughs> I knew you would. Mason, does this song stand out to you? Not really. <laughs> if I if if it wasn't there, I I wouldn't miss it. Yeah, it's an it's got an interesting kind of. I mean, it's it's not one I like search for, especially it. after the anti summer song. It kind of brings it back down a little bit in a way that's not bad because that other yeah. one was so cheesily upbeat sounding, not necessarily lyrically, but... I think that this one is cheesy too, though. It almost has like a rawhide kind of production yeah, to it. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, I, again, I think the slickness of the production does the does it a disservice. It sounds like the song comes with a tumbleweed. So that's something that happens to a lot of bands where like their first album like has this sort of like grit to it. And as they get better at what they do, they lose the grit, and it yeah. makes their albums worse. Like I think, yeah. to me, the the most the saddest example of it is Franz Ferdinand. Like their mm. first album is so good, and it has this sort of like immediacy, and sort of like I don't know. Well, so here's an example. I don't know that I don't I don't think this guy's music is bad now by any means. But listen, think about like Bon Iver. Mm-hmm. Like Bon Iver's first album is like super raw, right? Yeah very just kind of like sounds like he could have recorded it in his bedroom right right and he has like upped his sound in production like crazy and i know that people still love his music i'm sure it's great but like none of his stuff has hit me like that first album did yeah 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 i've tried to get into others none of them really do it yeah yeah so here we're moving into the last segment of the album right we got three more songs i feel like once we get to this next song the album sort of turns a corner uh the next song to me is a little forgettable yeah i'm trying to really go through it in my head and i'm having a hard time what we got next matt uh the song is called mistral so in terms of like musicality and production like we we had like three songs that were fairly short and had definitely like a each one of those previous three songs definitely has like a uh a, a specific vibe to it mistral is just like sort of generic folk rocky this reminds me a lot of foregone from long live the king mm. yeah like breezy southern rock right yeah. At the risk of repeating myself, uh, it sounds like something that could have been on King is Dead. Yeah. It, and it at the risk of like repeating myself, era. it sounds like, you know, like a Skinnerd song. <laughs> uh, that seems to be about some people on vacation. Maybe. It's a song. It's like just kind of a big folk rock song with just all the instruments, a lot of backing vocals, just like a yeah. big sort of wall of sound kind of thing. That uh, kind of gnarly electric guitar. Yeah. Not a bad song. No. Not a not a great song. It's fine. But it definitely f- it's different from the songs that came before it in its in its sort of genericness. On this song to me it fills kind of a similar kind of space as The Wrong Year. Okay. Yeah. They're both these like decent pop rock songs that don't have a lot of interesting or unique things going on. Yeah. Could have been on King But which Zero. one would you say is the better of the two? I like the wrong year better. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. It's a coin toss for me. You'd have trouble picking between them? Yeah. But I don't you feel dis- strongly about neither of them? Yeah. I don't dislike either of them. 
again, this album feels like a, a collection of songs that just were written for in different eras. Like this is this could have been like a compilation of what they'd been up to for the last four years, mm-hmm. and yep. that would make sense to you, right? In and out of the studio. Well, that's what it was. They were in and out of the studio. Right. Right. All right. N- second to last track is definitely more kind of like intensely topical and personal song than maybe they've ever done. Matt, I think it's weird that on the Zoom I can see you're snickering about <laughs> this song. And yeah, now I don't even want to say anything, Matt. Because. <laughs> okay. Uh. So before I even say what song it is, uh, this next song is about the massacre at Sandy Hook. And Matt, for some reason, thinks yeah. that's funny. We did laugh about 9-11 on this show, so... What? Defend yourself, Matt. The next song, 12 17 12. I just, I just, I don't even want to say it. <laughs> oh my God. Did you know the song was about Sandy Hook? I did know it was about Sandy Hook. Do you know what happened at Sandy Hook? I, yeah, I'm well aware <laughs> of what happened at Sandy Hook. Or are you that much of a Alex Jones fan that, uh, that well, this yeah. song doesn't do it? That he doesn't believe I in know, it. Yeah, I know what the media says. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is if Mason loves the Rake song, then he probably would love this song. <laughs> oh, no, that's what that's your joke. <laughs> it's it's it is a that's a good joke. That's a call a good callback because I do like this song. I like this song too. I think it's a great song. I think it's, it's a, a beautiful song. It's really Honestly, good. I, I think it should be the the last song on this album. It's weird that it's not. Yeah. yeah. So this song is a date. Uh, December 17th, 2012, which is three days after Sandy Hook. And that's when Colin wrote the song. And it's just about how he was feeling on that day. Right. Because he was, I think at that point, uh, Carson was pregnant with their second child. Yeah, or they had had the and, second child, I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, so like it was it was kind of a happy time in his life. But at the same time, this unspeakably terrible thing had just happened. Right. But they are so happy because they're about to have another baby. Yeah, and it's it's that juxtaposition of like, I mean, I think it it, it kind of says it all in those first lines, uh, here with my heart so whole while others may be grieving. Yeah, um, it just really captures that feeling of just like watching these terrible things on the news, and not really knowing what to do with that information juxtaposed with what's going on in your own personal life. Uh, this song is also where the title of the album comes from. It's true. Because at one point, Colin says, what a beautiful world, what a terrible world. Right, Pete? That's what he says? What a beautiful world, what a terrible world? Pete's giving me the finger, for those of you. Um, So this is another... uh, I'm kind of surprised that this wasn't Colin's favorite track. Just because the last time his favorite track was the one about having a kid. And this is the the song about having a kid on this album. Yeah. We got harmonica here. Those, Those last lyrics, like... And oh my God, what a world you've made here. What a terrible world. What a beautiful world. And then it just repeats what a world you've made here. I, I just love the the end of that song. That's why I think it should be uh, the last of the piece of the album. It just, it just makes sense. It's yeah. a great song. And I don't think they had really done a song like this for a while. It really captures, I think, the feeling 
that the the line that is the title of the album is meant to sort of convey the what yeah. a terrible world what a beautiful world yeah because i think that we live in a world where like i feel that way all the time right where like if you just pay attention to what's going on in the news you're just gonna think everything is terrible but like your own day-to-day life probably doesn't necessarily reflect that and just like you know these moments of bliss going on at the very same time as like moments of total tragedy. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good sentiment to capture in a song. Agreed. You got any more jokes to make about this song, Matt? <laughs> He's thinking of some. Yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. Just not going to, not going to touch it. What, what are Colin Malloy's religious? Does he got any religious? Uh... No way. I don't, I don't think so. Can't imagine. No. He's way too lefty to be religious. Maybe he's Unitarian. Religion doesn't come up a, a lot in terms of... Well, I, I have noticed that it doesn't, typically. Yeah. No. There's just that small mention in this song, and it's just a good play on words, honestly, and that's probably all it is. But I mean, outside of Sufjan Stevens, I feel like uh, indie rock is pretty secular. Godless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's the Danielson family, which I guess that's... That's the that same Sufjan camp. adjacent. Same, same camp, really. Which is still pretty, it's about like dipping your toe in the water of somewhat religious music. I mean, yeah. it's not like religious music. It's just sure. he happens to have some religious beliefs, I, don't I guess. Know. Uh, Seven Swans is kind of overtly religious. That's true. That's true, it is. Yeah. Um, uh, the Avids, not that that falls in the same genre, but... Their church-going their beliefs, folks. Yeah, yep. yeah. Their beliefs are religious. They doesn't really overly come out in a lot of their music, but a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so this does feel like it could be the last track. But it's not. But it's not. Because the album ends with... Go on, Matt. I'm not going to say it. The last song is a beginning song. Last this almost turned me against the album just because it's it's just... <laughs> it's a little... It's not even clever. Like, it's just like... You think it's too on the nose? It's a little um, obnoxious. I, I do calling, like the song, though. I love the song, but calling it a beginning... Yeah, a good... Ending your album with a song called The Beginning Song is just like, come on, man. Well, here's what I think is... And this is probably intentional. But this sounds like an opening track from The Decemberists. Yeah. Like, it sounds like Crane Wife 3. It sounds like All My, uh, Once in My Life. Like, it's that kind of Decemberist song. Yeah. And I think it reminds me of Crane Wife because I think this is a bazooki song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you put it at the beginning, like, I think it's like you don't lose anything by putting it or even putting it in the middle of the album. Like, it's fine. I just feel you like putting it at the end. You could have this and a singer addresses his audience. Or just put this at the beginning and then your first five tracks are all good. You just made an even stronger first half of your album. Really, the the brilliance be- comes because as you're listening to this song, it seems like the first song, and then you want to listen to the album again yeah. as with this song as the first yeah. song. Maybe that was intentional for you to have it on repeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. This song is so catchy. Um, I really like the instrumentation on it. It's a it's a good December song. Yeah, it's really strong. Is it about anything? I think it's about the beginning. Okay, good. Yeah, that's all I got. There's not much analysis 
lyrically that this song warrants, I wouldn't say. Fair enough. I felt that like this was another King's King is Dead sort of sounding song. Yeah. Not exactly, but a, like a mixture of that without being totally serious. It's a good song though. Yeah, it's it's just a solid song. The strumming and melody definitely sounds like an opening track. Yeah. Um, also, they could have just flipped this in twelve seventeen twelve, and that would have been a very Decemberist-y move. Yeah. To end with this kind of like big grand number and then follow it up with like a bonus quiet track. Yeah. Something they used to do a lot. Yeah. That used to be their thing. So to me, this album is all over the place. It is. Like, it feels like it lacks focus. But again, their earlier stuff all lacked focus. I don't know if that's true. I think that they had a sort of statement they were trying to make as a band on those early albums. And I don't know that they do here. But, like, they also don't really have anything to prove anymore. Yeah. I think this album... I feel like this album is aimed at fans. Like... If if that mean if that makes any sense, like this doesn't seem like an album that they're like they're not going to catch anybody anyone. new with this one, right? It see it seems like it is appealing to their base. I would even say that "Make You Better" is like a decoy song to like trick someone to listening to this album. I think that's that's fair. <laughs> like someone would hear "Make You Better" and be like, "Ooh, I like that band," and then they would try listening to this album and they'd be like, "What is going on?" And then here? they play "Oh Philomena. Oh Philomena comes on. And you're like, like, "What?" Uh, is <laughs> now I'm even more in. Yeah, now I'm also fully erect. <laughs> <laughs> Was not expecting that. Well, are we ready to move on to the? Well, uh, well, first I want to know what ever I want to know what everyone's favorite and least favorite tracks on the album are. What's your number one and what's your number fourteen? Uh, well, I'll go first just to give you guys some time to compile uh, your your lists. But obviously, I've been pretty vocal about my favorite track, uh, "Make You Better." It's number one for me. Uh, the the real competition comes for for the bottom. I think that's what it's a real slug fest down there. I think it's it's gonna go to Lake Song uh, as my least favorite track because it's just a it's just a slog to get through. Uh, Pete, what you got? Uh, so I'm also gonna say Lake Song is number fourteen for me. It's a good choice. Like I'm gonna skip that song every single time I listen to this yeah. album. Like yeah. now that we've recorded this, I will never listen to that song again. It was it was hard not to do <laughs> when I was preparing for this. Uh, favorite is a little bit harder. I think it's like a little throwaway track, but I think my favorite might be better. Not wake the baby. Solid. Um, I think that's my favorite on the album. I respect that choice. It's hard not one. to pick Lake Song since, but you guys have already picked it. Uh, because it really is the the, the most skippable <laughs> you song can on it. here. <laughs> Next two for me maybe easy come easy go. I'm not that into, but would still like songs the worst song. Uh, feels cheesy to pick Fulamina as my favorite song, but it probably <laughs> is my overall favorite. I don't think it's the best song on this album, but I think it's my favorite song. I I'm very happy to hear you say that. Yeah, so. It's a song I maybe will play when I'm not even just listening to this album. You know, if I'm like, man, yeah. I kind of want to hear that song. Man, not- see, to me, I will never listen to Philomena in isolation. Like, oh yeah, it's, no, it's it's best in isolation. It's like, such a weird choice. <laughs> Mason, what kind of letter grade would you give this? Mm. I'm, I'm, I'd say B plus. I 
I thoroughly enjoy it every time, and I'm probably more prone to listen to this one than most of the others, honestly, only just because it's so easy to listen to. But it's still... Quality-wise, I I still couldn't give it, like, anything higher than that, probably, but... Yeah. It's it's very easily easy to, to listen to. I don't know. I gotta say, it's way easier to just give any person this album to listen to than, like, picaresque. Yeah, I guess. I think that this is more just, like, music anyone could listen to, but at the same time, I think that makes it a little less engaging for me, personally. Hmm. Maybe that's because their old stuff was so tailor-made to, like, my sensibilities, and this feels broader to me. Hmm. Accessibility is kind of a dirty word to a Decemberist fan. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) And Colin hates us for that. <laughs> yeah. No more sing-along suicide songs. Right. But out of, do you guys usually talk about critically consensus? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. So in, you maybe never fact, made it to the end of an episode. <laughs> no, but. I don't think. I was trying to get like five in in one day. So, so Matt, what's like, our last yeah. segment on an episode? So every episode we end with uh, a segment called "This Pitchfork Still Like the Decemberists. And oh. in this segment, uh, Pete tries to guess what Pitchfork Matt, gave this album. I, I have to admit, I accidentally saw the Pitchfork score oh for this album. Oh, my God. Because it was well, on the Wikipedia page for the album. I see. Well, so now Mason has to guess. And that's Wait, the rules. who reviewed it, Matt? Who's the name of the reviewer? It's Jeremy Larson. Okay, so it's not, it's not Dusner, longtime yeah. Decemberist reviewer. Are you familiar with Pitchfork Media, Mason? I am. You know, historically... They really like the Decemberists, um, but that changes. So going from the beginning, they they were fans from yeah from they, the get go. They, they used to really like it. They uh, used to regularly get best new music whenever. They but then starting with Hazards, it's been lukewarm at best. Yeah. Okay. So this this continues the trend of not getting best new music, and just okay. to remind you, uh, Pitchfork grades on a ten point scale. Okay. And they're, it's, it's usually a, there's usually a decimal point. So it's usually never just like a five or a, a two. All right. And this did not get best new music. It, it did, did not get like, best Is there a... Uh, eight is the cutoff for best new music. Okay. Okay. 6.8. Uh, it's way too high. Way uh, too it, was high. Was it a 5.6? It's a 5.6. Oh my God. That's like, yeah. that's, that, that's, that's not a lukewarm review. That's a bad review. Yeah. Yeah. I usually read a, a section of the review, so I'll do a little bit of that real quick. But uh, he doesn't. Can you like tell it. if this person's a fan of the band in general? I think he's a fan of shitting on the band. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, think about it. At this point, it's 2015. Right. You're maybe a new writer for a cool music website, and this is an uncool band that people used to like. That now you can sound cool. By shitting on their new music. Yeah. And yeah, they've been out of the game for a while. So, like, they're, I mean, not only are they, like, uncool because they just aren't, aren't uh, the critical darlings that they once were, but they've been out of the spotlight for a few years. Well, also, the definition of cool in 2015 is very different from when they started making music in, like, you know, 2003 or whatever. Right. Or 2002. Right. The cultural landscape has changed significantly in 2015. Which, but it's still odd that. Their previous full album before this was so well received, right? Uh, not by Pitchfork, but no. Okay, what I was mean, Pitchfork that? was what was the review for it? Uh, it, it got a six point eight. 
and it's oh, basically that's what I guessed. Or no, no, sorry. Album off. That was that was for the el- that was for the EP. Uh, I'm going to tell you what album got Pitchfork's best album of the year in 2015, just so we can kind of get a, a sense of what their tastes were at that website. Okay. Number one album that year was Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. Yeah, everyone so, loved that. So album. if you think yeah. that's the best album of the year, and then this album's getting reviewed yeah. on the same site, well, yeah. I forgot about that one though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, King of Said got seven point two, so they they like that one a little mm. bit more. But still, not the glowing reviews it got elsewhere. I would imagine. Yeah, most other sites were or liked it more. Uh, anyway, so the the sort of snarky thing that he says about it. Uh, on their seventh LP, What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World, they balance out and cruise down the middle of the road, sounding more like a polite modern folk rock band with only a touch of antiquity here and there. It's a charming but predictable album aimed at the faithful, but provides few, if any, new tracks that measure up to those in their back catalog. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I might agree with that sentence. Yeah, it's, I mean, sure. Uh, but yeah, he spent a lot of the review, like, uh, talking shit about, you know, King is Dead and and uh, Hazards of Love, which is apparently the rule. That's the company line at Pitchfork is to shit on those albums. Uh, so he shits on those albums, but he's like, this album's too safe. They should try more experimental things. And it's like, bro, bro. You now, don't hazards like it. Of, hasn't Hazards of Love kind of come back around to being more appreciated than it was initially? I mean, by fans, maybe. Yeah. Critically, it wasn't like reviled or anything. I think yeah. most people were just like, okay, well, they got it out of their system. Um, anyway, like, people liked this album outside of Pitchfork pretty well. Like, it got a lot of B's, a lot of eight, eight out of tens. Uh, Rolling Stone, AV Club both liked it. So, critically, it's, it's actually a fairly well reviewed album. One of their probably top three reviewed albums. Yeah, let's see. Its Metacritic score is a seventy-seven. Yeah, so it's pretty good. Not bad for a December seven. So there you go. Yeah. So what a terrible world! What a beautiful world! What a great album! Well, what a good album! Yeah, I, I wouldn't call it great. I'd say it's a good album. Well, Mason, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was it was a delight and an exceptionally long recording session. Uh, it was very long, and I feel like I, we didn't have much to say about most of the songs. <laughs> you guys will have to tune into our next episode where we talk about the B-sides from this album, Yeah, which is from an EP called Flora Songs. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I actually have never listened to Flora Songs. I've literally never listened to it. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're, we're both going in pretty cold to this this one. Yeah. So right. It's your turn to do a send-off, Matt. Another thing that we do, since you've never heard the end of an episode, Mason, <laughs> an episode, <laughs> we we try to we try to end the episode by signing off with some sort of variation on a lyric from a song, um, or a just off the off the cuff like this. Yeah, yeah, we uh, never yeah, prepare. Yeah. Yeah, it's not premeditated. Like it's it's a bit at this point that it's always bad. But it is always bad. Like it's yeah, a bit, yeah. but it's also like legitimately we're bad at doing this. So yeah. I don't know why we keep doing it. I think it's because we've never come up with anything better. Like we've never had like a show planning meeting where we decided. Stop stalling that. You're trying to think of a good one right now. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, so this has been we both podcast together, and until next time, uh, I'll I'll be your candle. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's really not great. Do you want to you want to give it a go? I'm gonna give if it a you, go. Do it. 
Till next time, I won't betray you. <laughs> uh, you gotta like, use some kind of a Philomena lyric. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, well um, that's true. You did. Maybe one of the better lyrics from that song. Oh, here's till next time. Easy come, easy go. <laughs> <laughs> that was too. That was too smooth. Yeah. Uh, I'll think of a worse one next time. All right. Well. Bye. Bye.